Seth, welcome to the channel. Thanks for having me on. Really, really excited to to chat and, and kick things off for for this new podcast. So looking forward. There's not not enough Monero content out there, so always thankful for more. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. So the question that everybody wants to know first, Seth, are you wearing pants for the interview? <laughs> I am. Yes, as a, a seasoned work from home veteran, uh, pants are, are a necessity, even even when not a necessity. I guess. Sure. You're <laughs> actually focusing get work done. Uh, sure. It's a little hard if you're lounging around without pants on. Cool. So let's dive into the serious stuff now. So first off, um, layer twos. So I know you just did a bit of a talk on layer twos. So tell me, like, what's the goal of a layer two in your view? And I suppose, where are we in development? Like, are you working on it? Is somebody you know working on it? Um, please explain. Yeah. So with Monero, I think it's it's very different than other cryptocurrencies out there. Uh, with Monero, I mean, as I'm sure you know, we have a very strong focus on using layer one as much as possible. Um, we're we're not kind of betting our our hopes and dreams on a layer two. Um, and layer one, we've worked really hard. And I say we, but I really mean the the devs behind Monero have worked hard to to build something that is private by default, that's fast, that has quick block times, uh, all the things that help when you're doing layer one for payments. Dynamic block sizes is another huge part of that. Um, that helps it to be able to to scale up and down as necessary to to handle load. Um, so we're certainly not in the situation where like we have to have one for one specific feature for scaling, for privacy, et cetera. But I think, and this is really was the premise of my presentation, I think there is something that that could be gained from doing a a simpler version of the lightning network, essentially, on top of Monero. Um, and there's been good research around this already. There's no like current implementations or anything like that. And as far as I know, no one actually actively working on it. Um, but there's been five or six different kind of research articles put out on how a layer two like the Lightning Network could be built for Monero. Um, and really the main advantages we'd gain from something like that are we would gain better scaling and that we can move some payments off chain. Um, in theory, you do gain better privacy just due to the ephemerality of a layer two, a layer two network like Lightning, um, because those transactions are only clearly known between you and the other person in your channel. Um, and even then, if you're paying someone else, there's there's a lot of better privacy because things aren't recorded on a blockchain forever. So it can be an advantage there. Um, so. For those two main reasons, I think it's, it's something that is important for us to explore and to stay ahead of so we don't get to the point where, okay, layer one's like overburdened. We need to do something now. But just really to be thinking about it and considering why we would want to explore it, what it could look like, um, and kind of keeping our, our, our eyes open and minds open to, to what that could be like for Monero. And just speaking of other improvements as well, I've heard um, some developers, I think... I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think Howard Shu put out a tweet like a couple of years ago about ZK proofs being a more perfect implementation of a cryptographic proof to put on chain. Do you think in Monero we should adopt or at least aim to adopt a ZK proof? Yeah, so I ruffled some feathers a few months ago by by pushing a little bit for this. Um, I think it is something that we need to explore and that hopefully we will be able to implement long-term. Um, one of the beautiful things with Seraphis, which will most definitely be the next upgrade, in my opinion, for Monero, is that it really helps to make Monero's protocol, uh, specifically its transaction protocol, much more modular so we can swap out and end pieces as we need to. Um, and so once we have Seraphis, it'll be a lot easier to swap out our actual... Um, our actual mechanism right now, which is mostly ring signatures for for proving who the the sender is, um, and swap that out for something like Halo Two or or um, Orchard, like 
Zcash is using and just use that for that membership proof piece. So we wouldn't we wouldn't replace um, confidential transactions or any other aspects of our transaction protocol. But by swapping in a uh, a specific thing like that um, implemented by Zcash with Halo 2, we can gain a much larger anonymity set with every transaction, um, which is very important. Ring signatures work very well. We bumped ring size recently. Seraphis will bring much larger ring sizes, which will mitigate the vast majority of the the targeted attacks that are are possible but difficult today in Monero. Um, but having something uh, like the implementation in Halo 2 that Zcash is using basically is what's called an accumulator style membership proof. And so it means that the the input in that transaction could technically be any input on the blockchain. Whereas with ring signatures, it could be one of 11 is what it used to be, one of 16, what it is now, or one of like 64 to 128. Uh, like it, it will most likely be with Seraphis. So it does grant much better per transaction anonymity sets but transactional privacy is much more broad and nuanced than just anonymity sets. So it's certainly not something people need to worry about today, but I think it, it in my opinion, it will be the future of membership proofs in Monero. Sure, sure. So I suppose for me, the leading indicator for freedom money is what's used on the dark net. So like the way I think about it, if you're in crypto for freedom money, you may as well have, well, you may as well look at what, oh, sorry, if you're in crypto, it may as well be for freedom money. So if you're not here for freedom money, you may as well be using fiat or something like that. Um, so I suppose what's the significance for you that Monero is dominated or at least trending to domination on the dark nets? For me, there's there's really two main things to grab from that. I mean, one is that people who understand the need for privacy and who are generally not tech savvy are adopting Monero, um, which is a, a huge proof that the approaches that we've taken within Monero to try to make privacy as approachable as possible, to try to make it as foolproof as possible, actually work in reality. Um, so that's a big one for me. And and uh, obviously not endorsing activity that happens in the darknet markets, but we can really use that to gain a better understanding of how a tool functions in the real world and how a tool functions in an adversarial environment. The second big piece that comes with that is that we do get this like thorough testing of Monero. If it wasn't being used anywhere, if no one was actually transacting with it, if governments and law enforcement and Chainalysis and Elliptic and Cyphertrace and all these companies didn't have some incentive to try to break Monero, we wouldn't uh, really know if Monero could stand the test of time and could stand these types of adversarial environments. But because of its use, its growing use in the darknet markets and its growing uh, attention from governments, law enforcement, et cetera. I think it continues to prove that Monero works and works very well today, um, but that we need to keep keep iterating, keep improving it over time um, and keep staying ahead in that privacy arms race. Do you think that um, CoinJoins and Lightning can be used to replace Monero in that regards? Do you think they're sufficiently private one? And also, do you think they're easy enough slash don't have enough counterparty risk when we talk about scaling to 8 billion people? So really two pieces of that question I want to break down. I think the first one is the scaling to 8 billion. Um, I think I take a very different approach than many people. And I think many people in the Monero community do as well. And that, in my view, most people are not going to use Monero. They're not going to use Bitcoin in a privacy preserving way. Uh, it's really going to be those people who understand the need to reclaim their own sovereignty and want to take those steps. So, so my focus isn't on every user gaining perfect privacy, even though I think something like Monero could do that. Um, but rather on those who wake up to be able to do it and not to have a high barrier of entry. Um, or if CoinJoins and Lightning 
can be effective privacy tools? The answer is absolutely yes. They can be effective. Um, but the problem is, and, and you hinted at, at it in the second part of your question, it's not easy. It's not straightforward. Uh, it's a it's a very complex thing. There are lots of ways you can shoot yourself in the foot. Um, specifically, the the combination of on-chain and lightning is very tricky. There's a lot of nuance in how you handle the coins that you use to open channels with lightning. There's a lot of complexities with how privacy works within lightning. It's There is a lot of work to be done in both. But when done properly... Coin joins plus lightning can be a very powerful combination. And thankfully there are good people working on that 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 will improve it. Replace Monero? Like, no, I don't think so. I th I think the the simplicity of Monero's privacy and it being on layer one will always cement it in this role of digital cash. I don't think that, that anything will replace that, but I am hopeful that with the network effect and the adoption that Bitcoin has, that we really can continue to improve on. Coin join privacy and specifically combining coin joins on chain with Lightning Network's ephemerality and privacy to build something that will be good and hopefully good enough for most people within the Bitcoin space. Um, I'm not stuck to Monero or Bitcoin. I want both to succeed and do well and, and serve different purposes. So I'm hopeful that Bitcoin will continue to improve, but Monero is far and away the simpler tool for, for preserving financial privacy right now. So if you don't think it's going to scale to 8 billion people, what do you suppose will happen in a post-fiat world? Um, by post-fiat, do you mean like CBDCs or hyper-Bitcoinization or like what's kind of the, the so, process behind that? So it depends how you look on it. Like obviously I have my sort of thesis that, well, fiat is a Ponzi. It's mathematically a Ponzi, right? And it's just a matter of time before it collapses slash causes enough damage to other people um, to force them to look for other options. So that's basically what I'm referring to. Yeah, I mean, I think Monero could easily handle the the load that will come from people waking up. I think thankfully we've seen a, a big shift in the past two to three years of people really starting to understand why a lot of these privacy tools are being built, why Bitcoin exists, why Monero exists, the, the advantages of, of these tools. And I'm not really worried right now about Monero not being able to scale to the amount of users we're looking at. I mean, even then, we're not looking at the majority of the world waking up to this need and understanding this, unfortunately. Like, obviously, that would be my desire. Um, but I think it will almost always be the the minority that are the ones who, who wake up and are willing to take that personal responsibility in hand uh, and really fight to reclaim their sovereignty. Um, so I think our focus really should be on those people for when they wake up, that we have the tools at hand, that the tools are as approachable, as easy to use as possible, that the tools are as focused on privacy by default as possible, et cetera, et cetera. So how many people do you think Monero could scale to today? Um, I don't really have any exact numbers. I mean, I think we could comfortably scale to the amount of transactions that Bitcoin does each day. Um, running a node would get more difficult. Um, I certainly don't think impossible and I don't think it would be on many people to run nodes, but you do start to run into problems because of the privacy that's inherent in Monero. It does mean that running a node is more difficult than Bitcoin, not exponentially, but it is more difficult. Um, but I, I personally wouldn't be concerned if we were about the same scale as Bitcoin's on-chain activity. If we wanted to go beyond that, it would be interesting to see, um, but it's not something where I, I really run the numbers, but in looking, I have run the numbers specifically on what it would be like if we had Bitcoin's throughput. 
Um, and I think we could comfortably handle that. So when you're talking about more difficult, are uh, you referring to, I suppose, the cost of running a node, like the hardware required? Yeah, essentially, uh, the the storage is really the only problem right now. And it's we're already at the place where if you're running a Monero or Bitcoin node, honestly, you should only be using a solid state drive or NVMe drive because the the specific way that a blockchain node works it needs to be able to access random information dispersed anywhere on the drive quickly and ssds and, and nvme drives are much much better at that so that's really the the base la- the base lev- level of what you need to be able to have to run a node um but if we were handling something like bitcoin's throughput you would need one or two terabyte ssds plus at that point but that's not crazy that's relatively cheap today I mean, basically every new computer that you buy has a one terabyte SSD. NVMe drives are becoming much more common and popular. Um, I think we certainly have reached the point in computing that running a Monero node at larger scale isn't a big deal, but it does mean that you can't just rent out a a cheap $10 a month VPS and run a Monero node reliably, Um, which in my opinion isn't too much of a problem, but I do understand why we want to keep that barrier of entry to, to running a node as low as possible. Do you think the, uh, I suppose, the exponential growth of technology, i.e. the price of SSDs going down, could meet the demand as it increases as well? Do you think that's um, that's a likely outcome or do you think it's plausible? Yeah, I definitely do think it is. And and a lot of the thought process that's gone into the, the approach to scaling with Monero, like dynamic block sizes, basically focus on that and understand that technology continues to improve disks continue to improve, CPUs continue to improve, network bandwidth continues to improve. Um, I think Nielsen's law is the main the main specific one that's mentioned there, but Arctic Mine has done a ton of just brilliant thinking on, on how we can build the system so that it can scale along with technology rather than setting a arbitrary limit at some specific level and then just letting technology progress without us. And I think that is one of the big failings of Bitcoin is that they set an arbitrary level, even though technology has continued to improve, the block size has not allowed any growth. And we limit who can use Bitcoin and how many people can use Bitcoin unnecessarily, unfortunately. Um, so that is one of the things that I love with Monero. And so just pivoting a bit, talking about chain analysis, but what what risk do you think uh, chain analytics firms have for crypto? And I suppose, how can they be used in a dystopian sense in broader society, do you think? I mean, we're we're already seeing the dystopian sense right now, and that that chain analysis, Solyptic, CipherTrace, etc., are getting paid by governments, are often getting paid by cryptocurrency projects, by exchanges, to essentially surveil people without their consent, um, which is dystopia in and of itself. Like that's it's kind of the the core of or a core of what is broken in the world right now is that surveillance is rampant and people are not given any kind of access to privacy. Um, and unfortunately, those companies do a pretty good job of of tracing through uh, things like Bitcoin. And the way that most people use most cryptocurrencies can easily be traced. Most people are coming through KYC exchange, then maybe withdrawing to their own wallet. They're not using CoinJoin. They're not using Lightning in a non-custodial way. Um, and so unfortunately, they're gaining no privacy and often have worse privacy than kind of the legacy financial system. Um, there is nuance there. There's obviously a lot of a lot of specific details that can change that one way or another. Um, but they are a, a root problem within the cryptocurrency space. And they only exist because the technology with Bitcoin, et cetera, isn't good enough to dissuade them from building those tools. Thankfully, with Monero, it has been good enough so far. 
no one's really selling tracing tools. Cypher Trace claims to, but I've never actually heard about it being used in practice and no one's ever seen it used. Um, most other companies that I've I've talked to or heard from basically said it's not worth even building anything for Monero because it's too hard to do and we're willing to upgrade and iterate the protocols we need to. So it's essentially a pointless endeavor. And, and that's really where we should be. Like we need to not try to rely on uh, social outrage or any kind of pressuring exchanges, that kind of thing to prevent surveillance from happening. Surveillance is going to happen if it's technically possible to do. And as long as we leave it open as a technical possibility, it's going to happen. So I suppose like speaking of dystopianism in general, what's your take on globalism technocracy and like what world do you think we're moving into? So obviously we've heard many people like the BIS, the ECB, we're here in the Australian government and the American government's doing trials and CBDCs at the moment. China's implemented social credit scores, um, digital IDs, all these kind of things. Um, do you, are you concerned, I suppose, for the world that seems almost inevitable? I think, I don't know. When I look at this problem, I kind of have like a, an optimism and a pessimism. I, I think that the world is trending more towards a dystopic future like we see in China. Um, like you said, governments are, are chasing CBDCs. They'd love that financial surveillance and control that comes with it that they've never had in history. Um, and so I think we are constantly hurtling towards a world that can be worse off, but at the same time, we're seeing more and more people wake up. I mean, even in China, which is really the worst case scenario at the moment for a, a dystopia, we're seeing right now mass riots, protests, outcry, and we're seeing these things in spite of the state's control and the state's tools. Um, so it's very encouraging that people are continuing to wake up. Uh, I think it's also really important that the tools to reclaim sovereignty, to reclaim privacy are getting better and better. That's not just cryptocurrencies, that's private messengers, that's um, a lot of other privacy-preserving apps and technologies. And as more people wake up and start using those things, they will continue to improve. Um, so while I do think we're kind of hurtling towards a dystopia, at the same time, as we hurtle towards that, more and more people get burned, start to understand what we're talking about, start to wake up and take responsibility for, for their own lives and for their own sovereignty and so we'll constantly have that, I think, divergence, that battle, that um, that real, um, yeah, just growth in people taking those those steps towards personal sovereignty. And what timeframes do you think we're looking at um, for CBDC, social credit scores? Obviously, it's probably going to vary in different parts of the world, but just in your opinion. I mean, I think probably within a couple of years, CBDCs will be at least in a trial of some sort in the US um, and Europe probably as well. I mean. 2025, I know some targets and some other people that I, I know and respect have kind of targeted that for when they think the the US and EU will start to roll out CBDCs at, at larger scale. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised at that. I think they're really accelerating plans and I think they're trying to leverage things like the the FTX shenanigans and um, problems within the cryptocurrency space to try to show people why the government needs to do a digital currency and why they can do it best and why they'll they'll not let people get burned, et cetera, et cetera, and try to, to leverage the the brokenness that has existed in the cryptocurrency space, the greed that's that exists there to be a springboard for CBDCs and to bring them bring them into place more quickly. Um so I, I wouldn't think more than a couple of years at this point before they start to become a, a reality and not just a, a future thing. I definitely agree. Um I'm just curious how much faith you have in like I'm pretty optimistic on humanity and I tend to think like you that people will be burnt, people will move over. But do you think they'll move over on a large enough scale that will 
I suppose, prevent the Fiat Ponzi from continuing? Because I sort of think that people are just going to accept CBDCs. They don't really understand what money is and they don't really understand how, in my opinion, how globalists think on a broader level. Um, so with that said, what what's your optimism view on humanity, I suppose? And do you think it's enough to bring down the Fiat Ponzi? I think my probably honest take is is no, that the fiat system will continue, CBDCs will happen, many people will be fine with it and just let it happen because they don't understand the implications for freedom and for humanity um, and for the loss of both that will come with things like CBDCs and, and more totalitarian governments. Um, but there's a reason why like my thinking and kind of the philosophy behind the things that I do has shifted more towards crypto anarchy. Because I think that while the majority are not going to wake up and take take these steps, I think many, many people will. And so this concept of behind crypto anarchy that we can use tools to essentially make the law unenforceable and that we can use these things to to build communities in a way that isn't able to be to be crushed by the state, uh, that isn't affected by CBDCs, that isn't isn't neutered from financial freedom through things like CBDCs. I think that's really going to be the the future is us building communities that have a circular economy that rely on tools like Bitcoin and Monero, um, that rely on cryptography to ensure that our communication is private. They were able to build these things in spite of what's happening around us. Um, and so that's that's my kind of core focus and thesis is that most people won't wake up, but more and more people will. More and more people will get um, really uh, pushed into starting to understand sovereignty. And as they do, these tools will help them to be able to build essentially like crypto anarchist communities, whether it's whether it's physical or just digital. Um, and that's really where where these tools can thrive and, and help people to to gain freedom, even if the, the countries that they're in are, are not free. Do you see Monero and Bitcoin being banned? Um, I doubt Bitcoin will be. Uh, at this point, um, mm -hmm. especially because its default transparency can be an advantage in some cases for um, authoritarian governments um, and people coming in through KYC exchanges, et cetera, doesn't really scare them. I think a lot of the a lot of the ways that Bitcoin has been co-opted are helpful for the plans that they have have helped CBDCs become a reality and become something that they can more easily sell to, to citizens. Um, so I certainly don't think Bitcoin will be. Monero, maybe. I mean, we've basically seen shadow bans through uh, pressure by regulators, banks, et cetera, to try to get exchanges not to list it, all of these things where they're just trying to make access more difficult. Um, I probably would have said I don't think Monero would have been banned until the whole Tornado Cash saga happened. Um, but after seeing how the U.S. government went after that, which was a decentralized privacy protocol, um, I think it... It made it much more likely that they'll try to go after Monero in the future, especially as Monero continues to gain steam, continues to be used by by people they don't like, um, and continues to to grow as a project and as a community. Um, so I certainly think it's possible, but that's why Monero is built how it is. Like uh, it's it's a it's a system that's been made to be anti fragile. That as they crack down, it becomes more anti fragile. Um, it's it's built for adversarial environments, and I don't think the same can be said for many other. Um, projects, even Bitcoin and many of the projects built on it, I don't think have been have been made with this adversarial environment in mind where Monero really has from the ground up. So it's it's something where I'm not really concerned if they ban it. We can continue to use it. Mining can continue. 
all of that can really happen unabated. Um, it obviously would just get harder to to on and off board, but that's where peer-to-peer circular economies are really the the key. Sure. So what for you then would mean that Monero's failed? Like what are the signals you'd look at um, for it, basically for you to change your mind, say go Bitcoin only, say Zcash or whatever the case is, right? What are the signals for you? I mean, I, I think the the only real way I would say Monero has failed is if for some reason its privacy protocol was totally broken and traceable and we couldn't do anything about it. Um, and I don't, I basically don't think that that's a reality, like that, that that could ever happen because if if there was some big breakthrough and we learned that Monero was completely traceable, there are other options for how we would improve privacy. I mean, even if like our approach right now was completely broken, we could switch to Zcash's approach and just narrow down on that, hone in on that, make that happen much more quickly. Um, so I don't really see a scenario where it's it's failed. I think the the biggest thing for me is that we, I think, need to be careful that we don't forget the network effect and reach that Bitcoin has and just dismiss it and not try to push for privacy on Bitcoin because many people will come into Bitcoin and they'll stay in Bitcoin and they won't get to Monero. And that's just, I think, an unfortunate reality. And so that's why a lot of my recent work has been shifting back into Bitcoin because I understand that a lot of people are going to be there and I want to make sure that they have the best tools available as well. But Monero is a much better tool for privacy right now, much better tool for actually spending cryptocurrency. Um, and I think that will continue for a long time. But in my opinion, they're really two different tools. I hope that both continue to exist. Um, and I, I really don't see a world where Monero fails because as long as I can use it to make peer-to-peer payments in a private way, that's success. So what what's three, say three other easy tools besides Monero that pretty much every person can use to, I suppose, up their personal sovereignty and privacy, freedom, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I think uh, just kind of rapid fire, switching to a more privacy preserving browser like Brave Browser is a great start since so much of what we do happens in browsers today. Um, switching as much or all of your messaging as possible to a privacy preserving app like Signal or Threema is a huge, huge win. It can be hard to get friends and family to transition to that, but if you can, that's a huge step forward. Um, and the third one, I think, would probably be would probably be starting to use a well-known, well-trusted VPN. Um, there's a lot of nuance with who should use VPN, who shouldn't, et cetera. Um, but a couple of good options are iVPN and Molvod. Um, and both of them have a, a long, strong track record um, and are trustworthy. VPNs aren't for everybody. Tor is another option that can be better depending on where you're at. Um, but VPNs are much more approachable and, and help with some of the problems that are pervasive today. Just a quick follow-up question. So with Tor, one thing I've uh, I've had a question for a long time about it. What is why is Tor slow? Basically, I, that's what I don't understand. Is it because of the onion routing? Like it takes a lot more time to obviously send the messages. Yeah. So essentially, every time you send a packet or receive a packet within Tor, if you're going to like the ClearNet, like if you're using Tor browser, just go to Google.com for example. The packet that you would normally just send directly to Google and get back a response in like 50 milliseconds, 100 milliseconds. Now you're having to route through three other nodes in the Tor network and then to Google. So now you're introducing the latency in each of those hops. You're restricted by the bandwidth in each of those hops. Um, and you're ultimately restricted by the bandwidth and latency of the exit node that you use to actually get to the clear net to get to 
to like google.com there. Um, and so with every step, you're introducing both just cryptographic latency and that you're having to perform these operations to ensure that privacy happens along the way. But you also are having to to just jump through a lot more of the internet and through all these different people's computers, nodes, et cetera. Um, and so there's a lot of latency introduced in that. It's when the network is healthy, it's usually not that problematic, uh, but obviously Tor has had lots of issues recently. Um, and those have made it very difficult to, to use Tor on a daily basis, unfortunately. Um, but that's the kind of the core reason why it's much slower than just regularly browsing the internet. Seth, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a great chat. There you are. There you have it. Thanks so much to Seth for coming on the podcast today. Make sure to give him a follow on YouTube. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter as well. Make sure to also give us a subscribe down below and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now.